We as Christians are called to participate in missions. We do this by going or by sending others to go. I'd been feeling a, a pull to go for years, actually. And when the 2016 trip was coming up, I really wanted to go. By the time I knew for sure my schedule would let me go, it was pretty late in the game. So there was a fair bit of catching up to do, and some obstacles to overcome. But also there was the support. I was able to put a little bit of money towards the trip, but there was still $1,500 left for me to raise. The next, the next team meeting, he comes in and literally hands me a check for $1,500. They paid for everything. I have never met any of these guys. And they sent me halfway around the world. I hope I made an impact while I was there in Kenya. I know the trip was certainly life-changing for me. And I couldn't have done it without them. Not everybody can go on a mission trip. Uh, some people, it's due to physical uh, limitations. Some people, it's financial limitations. Some people just don't have the time. But everybody can help in some way. And so, although I've gone on a couple of them, there's been a number of them that I haven't. But I try to financially contribute so that we can go as a church. The benefit I, that I think I get is that I know that even though I'm not there doing the work, I know that God's work is being done. And I think that's extremely important that we can't focus just on ourselves in a congregation. We have to look at the, the world because at some point when Jesus comes back, we're gonna to be together. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today here at First Christian Church. It's good to see each and every one of you. Those in the East Auditorium have already had a chance to visit with you. I'm very glad you're with us today here in the West. Welcome again. And uh, for guests who may not know me, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to spending some time with you this morning in the book of Matthew. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to read today. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you'll be, we would like to encourage you to take the one that's either here in the west in the, in the pew rack in front of you or in the east. There's some people moving around with Bibles right now. If you'd like to grab one of those, we'd be honored if you'd take that home as our gift to you. This past week, uh, Leslie and I were on this stage here in the West Auditorium, uh, and we did a concert for our senior saints, and Leslie told a story that I want to repeat briefly here today, and I've told the story um, a number of times, so I don't want to, uh, not recently, but nonetheless, I don't, I don't want to get it all drawn out, but many of you know that uh, we faced a crisis in our family's life in 1993, just um, some six, eight weeks before we moved to Decatur. Our son Benjamin was three years old at the time. Uh, sh long story short, he hit himself right here on the coffee table, fell, at a th you know, three-year-old running around the house right at breakfast time, hit himself right here. He tore his trachea open, and long story short, uh, there was an ambulance ride, then, a, then a, to one hospital, cardiac arrest while he was in the ambulance. They intubated him in the ambulance. Then um, a life flight to another hospital, brainstem swelling, deflated lungs, um, all kinds of horrid stuff. And uh, long story short was this, that at about 
three or four o'clock that afternoon, the doctors had evaluated him, and due to the brainstem swelling that Ben had, they issued us this statement. Uh, two options we had. One, that Ben was not going to live through the night. The do- I remember sitting in that little room, and the doctor says, um, Mr. and Mrs. Kent, your son will not live through the night, or worse yet. I'm thinking, what's worse than that? And that was his language. He won't live through the night, or worse yet, he'll just never wake up again. None of that came true. Um, how do I know that? Well, I was there when he woke up, and I saw him grow up, and I saw him um, go through life and through school and through college. He got married, and now he's got two kids, and I want you to see a picture of our grandkids. <laughs> see, I'm telling you the story just because I want to show you the picture. That's the only reason why. Um, you know, if, if you need to see any more, I have some on my phone. I'd be glad to show you. No, those, uh, the, the two little boys, the twins, on the, this was Easter Sunday morning in, our, in my office, in the, in the chair in my office, and, um, and that's, uh, that's Brooks on the left and his brother Jet on the far right-hand side, and in the middle is uh, the other way around. No, that's right, it's Jet on the left, Brooks on the right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're... <laughs> They're identical. And then Pippi's in the middle. So nonetheless, I I need any excuse I can get to show grandkids, so that's why I told the story today. No, um, actually, um, what I want to talk to you about this is that, despite making that long story very short, here's what I'm quite convinced of, that our son was healed by God in a very dramatic fashion. But what caused the healing? Apart from God getting engaged, was it the doctors, was it... Our faith, was it the prayers of people around the nation praying? Because we had people literally around the nation praying for those 14 days that he was there in the hospital and the seven days in a coma and all that sort of stuff. What brought about that healing? It's something that we've lived with in that tension for the last 23 plus years. That same sort of question surrounds our passage today. We're going to look at four stories of healing in the book of Matthew. And in two of them, Jesus says they were healed by their faith. And you see this board up here. And so what, what, what I want us to think about today is what caused Benjamin to be healed? What caused those people in Scripture to be healed? Jesus says in two of them that their faith had something to do with it. That the weight of the healing, if you will, was on, their, was on their faith. And yet in two of the stories... There's no mention of faith whatsoever, and God simply acts without any discussion of faith. What's the most important? What does it take to get God to answer some of the things that we bring to him? Now, the challenge throughout this whole message is going to be keeping this board balanced. There's precise engineering involved in this, I want you to know. All right, we're making it. Help me out here. God, help me out right now. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Which was more important, this side or that side? Read with me. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. We're stepping into a discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples about fasting. And while he was saying this, in verse 18... A synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. 
Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Now, before we go any further, I want to tell you that as we read through this passage of Scripture today, we're going to see two different types of people. Somebody with influence, like the leader of a synagogue, versus people who are basically destitute or beggars. You may know that in Jewish custom of both Jesus' day and in our day, whenever there are 10 Jewish families in a community, they are required to form a synagogue, to actually have a place where they go to worship. Obviously, this is in Israel, so there's lots more than 10 families. There are lots of synagogues. In our own city, we have a synagogue because there are more than 10 Jewish families here in our community. And so this guy, is a person of some renown, some sort of, um, well, we know from other sources in Scripture that describe this story that his name is Jairus. We know that his daughter is about 12 years of age, and we see something that's quite interesting. That here's this man of power kneeling. Did you catch this? He comes and he kneels before Jesus and he says, my daughter is dead, and he's a man of power kneeling before Jesus, who at this point is some itinerant preacher of questionable circumstances is the best way to put it. So, as they're about to head to the house, verse 20, we read this. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Now, again, from other places in Scripture, we know a little bit more about this lady. We know that beyond suffering and hemorrhaging for 12 years, that she has, um, Mark tells us that she had spent everything she had on doctors and medical care trying to get better, and for 12 years, she has not had any answer to that hemorrhage. Now, remember, in that situation, in those days, hang with me here, in those days, a woman who was bleeding both in this case or a woman in the middle of her monthly period, was not allowed to be in worship. And you may be immediately going, well, wait, wait, that's crazy. What's with that sort of religion? Well, get past that question for just a minute. That's probably the subject of another teaching. And consider this. You have a religious leader in front of Jesus. Jesus is on his way to that house. And you have a woman who's not allowed to practice religion. Did you catch this? You've got two extremes And in the midst of the extreme, Jesus says to the lady who is not allowed to be in worship, he says, oh, your faith, pushing down on that side of the board, your faith has healed you. What's with that? Well, let's carry on. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, so they've hired professional mourners. She's been dead for some time. He said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. She got up and news of this spread through all that region. As he went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on the son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, and and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do Do you really believe? Do you have enough faith that you could see through me? And they said, yes, Lord. So he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done. Hmm. So you've got the Jarius, his daughter gets healed by a touch. You've got the, the, the woman who's hemorrhaging, her, her, she gets healed because she's got enough faith. And now you've got these two blind guys who get healed because apparently they've got enough faith. Their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out... A man who was demon-possessed and couldn't talk was brought to Jesus. 
And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Here's the, why this seesaw, why this balance beam is here today. Because you have four st- stories of healing here in this passage, with two of them emphasizing the faith of those who got healed as having some part to play. I mean, you've got people of diverse, diverse settings, a man of religious means, if you will, and a leader, some sort of man of power, if you will, or esteem. And then you've got a woman who we don't know all her story, but we know she's not allowed to go to worship. And then you've got two guys who are blind, and they are completely dependent upon everybody for their resources and everything. And then you've got a guy who can't speak at all. So you've got, if you will, different levels of strata in the culture. And I like that Jesus responds to all of them, that Jesus is not only coming for poor people, but also coming for well-to-do people. And apparently people across all sorts of social, economic, and religious levels all have access to receive something from Jesus. I've labeled this um, with a word that I made, a, a term I made up. I've called it desperation extremists. In other words, this is the point that struggle comes to all sorts of people in spite of their extreme lifestyle differences, in spite of the various, I mean, huge, huge differences in who they are. It's not an official theological term, but these biblical stories of desperation, while they are extreme, are so similar to the stories of desperation we face at times. Struggle and hardship and pain and, and illness, they are not the exclusive claims of any one portion of our population. All people, regardless of life station, face struggle of various kinds. Maybe you face a struggle today. And I love what happens to these people of desperation. They get healed. I like that. Their prayers are answered. But here's the question. Was it their faith that healed them? Jesus said in two of the cases, you're healed by your faith. Does that mean God was not involved? And yet on this one, on the other two, you have no indication that faith was involved. But God was engaged. At least you don't, there's no discussion of that faith, right? Well, how does that work? Which is more important? What's more important when it comes to the way in which you relate to God and the issues that you bring to God? Because here's the situation. If it's all God, then we have nothing to to do with it, right at all? See if we can get God to bring me still right here. Not yet. If it's all God, then we leave it completely up to Him. But on the other hand, you've got two people here or two situations, including that are make up three people, where they get healed based on their faith. And you say, well, I'm going to have more faith, and if I can get more faith, then I'm going to get healed. But then that presents a problem for us, doesn't it? What if you say, well, I, I have asked God in full faith for this, for this sort of thing, and then it doesn't happen. You ask God, maybe in the past, you asked God for a child, and you're still childless. You ask God for a spouse, and it hasn't worked out. You asked for a new job. You prayed to God for a, God, I need a better life attitude. I'm so mean and ugly all the time. Help me. 
Your brother needs healing from cancer. Your neighbor's kid, she has a genetic disease that you watch and you realize that as her mother has said, you see it happening in front of your eyes, she's never gonna see 18 years of age. And you pray. And what if your prayers aren't answered? Does that mean you're putting all the weight on your faith and so suddenly there's a problem with your faith that's not strong enough? Maybe does it mean, well, my faith isn't strong enough for God to listen to me? Or maybe there's some sort of sin between, yeah, that's what it is. I've got a sin that's blocking my prayers. And God's looking the other way because I'm a sinful person. Can I tell you, friends, that if you're moving in that direction, that's the not the right way to think. Because over time, as the expected answer from God continues be, to be delayed, what happens to us? We begin to listen to the voice of the evil one. The accuser who kind of says, yeah, you're right, you're not a good guy. You're a terrible woman. You know, as a matter of fact, did you know that Jesus, uh, that scripture calls, um, uh, that when we get to the end of time, that as Jesus is, be, is sitting at the right hand of God, here's what we read in Revelation chapter 12, that the evil one, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, accuses them before our God day and night. You know, God, God and Satan, somehow they're in some conversation about you right now. And he's, he's saying, you know, did, did you catch how that, that follower of yours is really carrying on. Night and day, he's complaining to God about you if you're a follower of Jesus. And I often wonder what he, what's on his mind. What does he say to God about Wayne Kent, for example? Does, does he say to God, hey, God, have you seen that fellow who calls himself a Christian, that WK guy down there in Decatur? Oh, I know he's got some position in the church that maybe people think that he's got some sort of super spirituality, but, but God, you and I know different, don't we? And God, you know that he knows differently too. Do you know that despite his position, he's got all sorts of foibles and secrets and ways that he acts that aren't right and so forth? You really don't think he's a follower of you, do you? That's Satan accusing me before God. I, I, I see it play out in people's lives at times about how sometimes we don't act the way in which we say we act. I saw it this week. I was, on Wednesday afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon, I was driving south on 51 from the, from the office here. I was headed down to WSOY to do this radio show. And I wasn't running late, so there wasn't any rush, but it was kind of crowded as I was, you know, as you go down 51, there's going, going south, there are three lanes, right? South of Pershing Road, there are three lanes you can drive in. And I was in the middle lane. And uh, I noticed that the lane on my left was clear. There weren't any vehicles over there. So I thought, well, I'll go over in that lane and maybe gain a car length or two. You know how this works, right? You know how this works, right? So I did it all right. I looked in my mirror. There's nobody there. I did the look over my shoulder. I put my blinker on, and across the lane I went, and honk! There's this guy back there that was in the blind spot, and I must have cut him off. A man was, he honked. Let me tell you, he was not happy. He laid on that horn. It wasn't just like, you need to know I'm here. And then he came flying up behind me and he tailed me. You know, he was angry. Like, I'm going to show this guy what I think of him. He had a little green, like, small crossover. I don't know what it was. And, and so I'm, I'm going faster trying to get out of his way because I don't want to get rear-ended. He's going faster. I'm slowing. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. I'm thinking this road rage is about to happen right now. So I better get back over in the, in the middle lane. So I, I stepped over into the middle. I mean, I, I, I did the same thing back in the middle lane thing. 
Dude, it was my fault. I didn't see. I'm sorry. And sure enough, I'm thinking, I'll just, when he comes up at me, I'll just wave at him kindly. He came flying up beside me, and I'm looking over at him, and he gave me the ugliest stare. You would have thought if he could kill me with his eyes, he would. And he just looked at me, and we carried on for maybe, I don't know, another few hundred feet, and he's looking right at me, and I'm, I'm doing the, you've done this, right? I'm doing the occasional glance over, thinking, this guy's really ticked. So then he speeds up, and then he jumps right in my lane, and then he slows down, so now I'm tailing him. So I back way off, but as I backed off, I saw something across the back of his, of his trunk. Real men love Jesus. Hmm. I'm just glad it didn't say First Christian Church. I'm really glad it didn't say that. Because it's okay if he loves Jesus. I just hope he doesn't go to First Christian Church and tell everyone about it. But no. Because you know what, that guy, I mean, he loves Jesus. He's proud of the fact that he loves Christ and he's willing to tell people about it. Just his actions didn't show it that day. And I've got grace for that. It was my fault. I cut him off. Now, I didn't act like him, but I get it. I get there are moments in life when I don't really act the way in which I should. Just because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that any of us in this room get, you know, we, we, don't, we, don't, get a, we don't get a pass from making bad mistakes. He made a really bad error. But I wonder what... Satan said to God about him at that moment, hey, God, just, just see one of your fools in that green crossover down there? He just got really angry. Why did he do, hmm. Here's how God responds to Satan's accusations regarding a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, he or she is covered by my son's blood. Because it says this in Revelation chapter 12, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And how's he been hurled down? They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. Friend, you need to know that in grace, God has already forgiven all your junk and all your stuff and everything, including the day come Wednesday, if you cut me off and act poorly in front of me or I act poorly in front of you. It's all forgiven. But sadly, one of Satan's most effective tools is to remind us of our shortcomings. And if he's accusing God day and night about us, then when the healing doesn't come along or the answer to our prayer request that we've brought before God, when it goes silent, we tend to blame ourselves, listening to the voice of the evil one saying, well, obviously, obviously, I don't have enough faith. And thus... God's not going to answer me because I've got sin in my life. And I, I went down Highway 51 on Wednesday afternoon and acted poorly. And if I hadn't acted poorly, then maybe the healing would come. Do you think that way sometimes? When, when God's answers don't come the way in which you want them to come, you go, well, it must be my fault. Don't listen to the accusations of Satan in that regard. Because here's what I'm clear of. There are times when, yes, our spiritual life can cause a blockage between us and God. There are times when sin gets in the way. But may I remind you that the accusations of Satan have been overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And there's a significant difference. There is a significant difference, catch this, between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the evil one. One brings repentance. One brings, hey, I shouldn't have cut that guy off on Wednesday, and I'm sorry, God, for the way I acted. And if I ever see him again, I'm going to apologize. I'm waiting for that day. No, no, I didn't say that out loud, did I? No, I got grace for that. There's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the evil one. One brings repentance, the other brings guilt. And may I remind you that Romans chapter 8 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, if that's the case, if I don't live under condemnation anymore, how does this work out? When, when, what's the right amount of he, when I want some answer to, to the questions I have and a healing or whatever the case, how much faith is required? Well, I find it interesting that there are all sorts of stories about Jesus healing people in the New Testament. And in some, particularly like in the passage we're reviewing today, the faith of the individuals is in play. But then there are other times where no faith is mentioned at all. Hmm. Jesus doesn't answer the question definitively. And I suppose if he didn't answer the question saying, you've got to have this measure of faith before I answer from heaven, then maybe we'd be wise to leave it alone. I would offer this response. I'm very convinced that God was involved in each of these settings here in Matthew 9. I'm absolutely certain that the healings we see in the Bible and the healings that come our way these days are all gifts of God. But may I remind you that God cannot be treated like a big faith machine in the sky. That if we put enough faith quarters in, he's not a vending machine. If we put enough faith quarters in the slot at the top, then we can stick our hand down here and get some sort of healing soda at the bottom. It comes in a lovely packaged can with all kinds of writing over it. And you, you know ahead of time what it's going to look like. To reduce faith and spirituality and life to that sort of formula is unwise. Because this is what I know. God does his part in grace, and then I work out his role in my life daily. See, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're here today and a follower of him, you can say, that means I trust God for my eternity's goal. That's the big picture. I've already, if I've already done that, if I've already said that when it comes to what's gonna happen to me after this life, that it's all God, through the work and the blood of Jesus Christ, and I trust him for that. And so then I should also trust him for the big stuff in life and the little stuff as well. And I'll work on my faith, yes. But in the meanwhile, I'll leave God in charge. I'll work to align myself with godly life approaches, with godly actions and godly attitudes so that I don't have to face the accusations of Satan. I'll work on that. But in the meanwhile, I'll trust God. So, if that's the case, how are we going to work on making certain that our faith is vibrant and growing and, and, and so that we don't have to face those accusations? Well, here's some ways today, some ways to increase your faith. If you will, some righteous life approaches that I'd like to give to you that could say, well, this is ways in which while I trust God and I'm going to rely on His grace, some ways in which I'm going to increase my faith as well. I want you to look in your program today. You have this. I want you to consider to grow in biblical literacy. One way to grow in biblical literacy is simply to do some memory work. There is a card here today in your program that has uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different passages of scripture that you might consider memorizing. 
And I'm, I didn't particularly plan to do this, but I'll see if I can help you out. I don't know if I've got them word for word, but here's how they go. John 3, 16, do you know what that says? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. And God didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's really helpful to know that. To know that God's engaged in my life and God loves me so much. Or what about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? It's through faith you've been saved in the grace of God, not through works, lest anyone should boast. Something to that effect. Anyways, remember that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. So when the accusations of Satan come, I know those accusations don't hold any weight because I'm a new creature in Christ. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, commit your ways to the Lord. He'll direct your paths. Something like that. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have that in the back of your head somewhere along the line? Matthew 5. You're, you know, you've got a job to do. You, you've, got a, you've got a task. You're, part of your faith is that you are a city on a hill. A light that can't be hidden. You're the salt of the earth. Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Help me out, guys. Deuteronomy 6. Impress, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Impress, them, impress these commands upon my children. When you walk along the road, talk about what I've done in your life. Talk about them and, and uh, put them on the doorposts of your, of your, of your house. Know what, what's happening in your life. Number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know, if you could grab a hold of those... Think about how that would change your world, how that would change your faith. So I know memory works not for everybody, but could you try? Could you try? So first way in which you could increase your faith would be to grow in scriptural literacy. Secondly, you could grow, join a grow or serve together group here at First Christian. You know, we, um, I'm quite aware of this, that it's in, within the context of relationships that people grow in their faith. And so, uh, you know, we have a lot of people who are in grow together groups and who are in serve together groups. We have some 700 people coming uh, or invited at this point to our, our um, Serve Together celebration on May 8th. Maybe you didn't get invited because you are not yet one in one of those groups. I'd invite you to consider that, okay? Um, one of the places of service might be in our global missions team. Uh, in preparation for what we're doing next weekend, there are lots of displays in the lobby where you can learn about our work in Cuba or Kenya or the block or other places. And I want you to, as the service concludes today in both auditoriums, make your way to the lobby and just see what the church is doing and how you might learn about missions both here and around the world. And even if you're not in a position to add something else to your calendar, at least learn what your dollars and your prayers are supporting. Another one that we've already mentioned this morning, and that is to trust God through a stewardship of sacrificial living and giving. You know, part of a vibrant faith walk is to uh, say, in what areas would God call me to be different than the people around me? And for Christians, that means that we steward all of our lives, our calendars, our relationships, and also our pocketbook. And Christians, I'll say it straight up, you're called to generosity. The starting point uh, for where Scripture says to start is 10% of your income. Some of you go, man, I could never get that. How could I live on 90% of my income? Well, can I tell you, when God calls you to do it, you do it. And I'd rather live with God's blessings on 90% of my income versus none of God's blessings on 100% of my income because there is a significant difference in how those resources go around when God gets involved. So, to that end, make a choice to live differently in that regard. There are ways you could do that, of course. Um, even next week, when, we, when we're doing this Global Missions Initiative, where we're trying to raise $50,000 in one weekend, um, 
I'd suggest you participate in that. Let me give you one final thought that could give you insight into how you could raise your level of faith. And perhaps this is um, the most important, if I could say it this way. I encourage you to lean into God's best plan for you while not prescribing how that plan's going to work out. In other words, put the weight of your life right here because you know what happens? When you put the weight of your life here, it's fascinating. Your faith grows. You know why is that? Because when I put my weight here, I say I'm learning to trust. And as I trust, ironically, my faith grows. Fascinating to me how that works. Put your weight on the, on the way in which you trust God for every endeavor, the way in which you trust God for all that's going to take place. You know, the people of the Bible had to learn that lesson. There's a fellow in Scripture by the name of Paul, one of the main writers of the early church, a theologian. And if anyone had all the way in which he could say, man, I got everything on the faith side, this guy had everything. I mean, he just did it all right. But he would go to heaven on a regular basis to saying, hey, God, I- I've got this situation As a matter of fact, he puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, in order for me to not say that I was such a man of great faith, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But every time, I'm going to rely on my faith, God, you're going to take this away from me. And every time God would come back and say, no, you're going to trust me on this one. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect in weakness. So he says, so based on that, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I guess you could say that Paul could have pushed way down on this side of the continuum. He had all the right faith approaches. If anyone had enough faith to get rid of the ache in his side... If anyone had enough faith to get rid of the burr under his saddle, if anyone had enough faith to say, I want this disease out of my life, or I want this situation fixed, Paul had enough of faith for that. But God had better ideas. Hmm. That's what the point of it is all, isn't it? Can you trust God? Why was Ben healed? Okay, so going back to that situation I brought to you earlier on. Why was Ben healed? I'm not certain that I really know, other than God's grace was engaged in the matter. There were lots of people praying. I mean, if anyone had faith that Ben was going to be healed, I've I got to tell you, it was Leslie, beyond the shadow of a doubt. We prayed, others prayed, and somehow for us, God's grace showed up in our lives. I believed it then, I believe it now. And if faith was required for that grace to show up, then so be it. I'm... I don't know if I had enough faith for that. It wasn't what we did or didn't do. It was simply that God acted. God acted in the life of this 12-year-old little girl here in Scripture. God acted in the life of the hemorrhaging woman and the blind man and the demon-possessed man. God acted. Let's land there. Let's land that God acts. And in the meanwhile, as we trust God's actions, we grow in our faith. And somehow or other, it all balances out because God is in control. Would you pray with me, please? God, we thank you that um, 
we are, we are learning to trust you in all matters. And who are we kidding, God? I, I need to say that I'm not always the best at that. I'm still trying to figure it out and work it out, Lord. There are people in both auditoriums today, God, who have very real situations and very real needs. And uh, they're trying to learn to trust you as well. And in the midst of the trust, Lord, your, their faith in you is growing and growing and growing. And so where the balance is between when there's enough faith versus, yeah, we know this. We are covered as the followers of Jesus Christ. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. We will rest there. We will not listen to the accusations of Satan. And we will continue to walk with you and see you work in the places where we need, them, where we need you to work, God. Thank you for that grace in the name of Jesus. Amen.